0: Welcome to the Become Fire podcast, a ministry of the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about this community, visit them on the web at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot Now, here are the Friars. All right, hello everyone. It is Father Anthony Tinker here with Father Peter Teresa McConnell. Hello, everybody. Good to be with you. We have a special guest today, Brother John of the Cross, Reverend Brother John of the Cross. With Reverend us Brother John of the just Cross. Just finally professed, <laughs> just becoming a deacon. So excited to have him. Nearly, I still feel the grace of the ordination overflowing and the vows overflowing on me sitting right across from him. Uh, so glad to have you. We're going to do your origin story. Sounds great, Father Anthony. <laughs> so just tell us a little bit about your background. Where are you from? A little bit about your family life. Yeah, so I grew up in...
1: Uh, Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania, which is a small town about a half hour south of Pittsburgh. I grew up in the same house my own life uh, with both of my parents, Mike and Patty, as well as my little sister Maria, who's four years younger. Which, as a fun fact, she's a become fire missionary uh, in Detroit. So, a little plug for uh, become fire missions. If we have any uh, young men or women looking to do a a year of service, please uh, contact us, and we can uh, we can see if you'd be a good fit for our program. But uh, yeah, I grew up with a pretty typical uh, childhood, born and raised Catholic. Both of my parents are very devout. Um, from a pretty young age, my dad would take me to daily mass um, in the summers when he wasn't working as a teacher. And as I got older, I stopped wanting to go as frequently, but uh, normally they could still drag me out once a week to, uh, to altar serve. But probably the big turning point, I would say for me spiritually as a child, uh, was when I was around 12. My mom told me I just had to start praying 20 minutes a day. And I guess I kind of assumed this was like a normal thing because mom was pretty much just like, well, you're 12 now, so you need to do this. And so uh, I just started praying 20 minutes. And
0: So what did that 20 minutes of prayer look like?
1: Yeah. So probably for the first year or two, I would mostly uh, read scriptures. So my dad had the Navarre Bible commentary, so I would read the Navarre Bible uh, for 15 or 20 minutes. But eventually... uh, I felt like God was kind of talking to me in the scripture and wanted me to stop just reading the scripture, but actually uh, just listen to him. So I'd read maybe five or 10 minutes of scripture and then uh, just kind of sit in silence for five or 10 minutes and talk to God and uh, let him talk to me. And I didn't think a whole lot of it at the time, but I realized in hindsight, that that was really foundational um, for my entire spiritual life. And so I'm very thankful to my parents for
0: that. That's beautiful. Um, So you've got a little prayer life going. You're about junior high age, and then we get into high school. So let's talk about your high school experience. What was that like just personally? What was it like socially? And what was it like in the faith?
1: Yeah. Personally, I can't say high school was one of my absolute favorite times. Um, My parents actually had me skip eighth grade. So I started high school young um, at 13, which socially was quite a bit of an adjustment. and Um, yeah, I was, I was at a Catholic high school, but unfortunately like a lot of Catholic high schools weren't as Catholic as the name, uh, wasn't as Catholic as the name might suggest. And so probably the, probably the best thing I did was, um, play sports, which I was on the soccer team. Um, and I was the tennis on the tennis team and I was pretty successful in both sports and I do see, while it became a little bit of an end in itself. It really did teach me a lot of work ethic and discipline. Um, which prepared me, I think ultimately for my religious vocation. So I'm really, I, I was really, um, thankful for that. Um, and I was a good student and I did very well in school. One of my favorite activities was I was on the school's academic team and got to appear on the KDKA television show, hometown high Q, uh, three times actually. And so that was one of the, one of my favorite
2: memories of high school. Are there? Can we find those episodes somewhere and, and rewatch those, or are they, they lost they, to history?
1: They are recorded on the Costantino family DVR for the last uh, twelve <laughs> years, and uh, they might still be on the archives on KDKA.
2: We're gonna have to make a pilgrimage to the Costantino <laughs> to, uh, to look at an episode. But um, so during this time, you said you're praying like twenty minutes a day. As a twelve year old, you're you're in high school. Um, we're were you beginning to experience maybe the, just the beginnings of the stirrings of a vocation or
1: yeah. So altar serving was definitely like one of my favorite things. Um, like I remember like particularly the triduum, I have really good memories of serving Holy Thursday and Good Friday and the Easter vigil. And I remember being devastated one year when I couldn't serve Holy Thursday. And it's one of those things I thought about in junior high, but as I kind of got in high school, it, it wasn't really ever anything at the forefront of my mind or that I'd really say that I was discerning, um, a religious vocation, but I can absolutely, in hindsight, see a
0: lot of the seeds and stirrings of that. Was there any particular moment in high school that, I mean, you talked about that your mom really saying, hey, it's time to start praying 20 minutes a day. Uh, you talk about altar serving, but are there any moments that, that really speak out to you, a priest talking to you or a parent talking to you that really you look back on and say, wow, that really impacted the rest of my life spiritually?
1: I can't say in high school I really had a lot of great um, role models other than my family um, in the faith. It was really my freshman year of college when I started to, I think, have a much more profound um, conversion experience. And a lot of that is due to the influence of the Benedictine monks uh, at St. Vincent Arch Abbey. I was a a student at St. Vincent College, and um, they were very, very influential.
0: Okay, so tell us a little bit about that. So you're you're in college now, you're done with high school, you decided to go to St. Vincent's. Yeah, I decided to go to
1: St. Vincent's. They were the only school I could find which uh was allowing willing to allow me to play both college soccer and tennis. And I ended up not playing college soccer once uh I realized it would require six AM practices and that I was a lot better at tennis. And so um uh, I ended up just playing college tennis there. Um, but I was a math major because I was really good at math and my plan was pretty much to uh go there and become a college math professor and have a lot of time to play some competitive, not professional or anything, but just competitive amateur um, tennis tournaments on the side. And uh, yeah, for about a semester, it was great. I had a, I had a 4.0 GPA. I was the top player on the team as a freshman. Um, but coming into the second semester, I, I realized I was really unhappy. And when I was really unhappy, I realized it was because I stopped praying um, very much. And I I wasn't really actually asking God what he wanted me to do with my life. Um, And pretty much like within days of starting to ask God, I felt like um, he was calling me to be a priest. I remember being in a small group with some friends in college who invited me to join some of them. um, I'm still great friends with um, today, a couple of them, which is a real blessing. But someone just brought up discerning the priesthood. And I just kind of realized there, I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Um... And so I kind of ran with it the next couple months and just kept praying about it. I would go to daily mass. I would go to Vespers with the monks. I started seeing um, one of the monks there for, uh, for spiritual direction. Um, and there's a, there a praise and worship night called a festival of praise at St. Vincent's where for my penance, the priest told me to just not talk to Jesus in the blessed sacrament, but to let him talk to me. And after spending about 30 minutes in silence, um, I felt like the Lord was really calling me to be a priest. And if there was any doubts that left, um, one of the monks and some college students prayed over me afterwards and, um, will talk about resting in the spirit, which is like when basically the Holy spirit knocks you over and you're on the floor. And I was on the floor for about 25 minutes. And when I got up, I was, I was pretty much entirely sure I was supposed to be a priest. And so as a real grace and a real blessing.
2: So you said that the priest for your penance said not just to talk to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, but let Jesus talk to you. Yeah, just let Jesus talk to me. So uh, that's really beautiful. That's really amazing. Uh, I might have to save that penance for one day <laughs> myself. But um, but so what would you say to people listening who who want to do that, but maybe don't know how or don't know if they can trust what they're hearing? Is this just me? Is just the Lord? So how how are you able to discern that This wasn't your imagination, that this was actually God speaking to you in that silence. Yeah,
1: I would say two things. And the first is you just have to hang in there when you're sitting there. Like, it's okay if you feel distracted. Like, God's just happy that you're with him. Like, it really is okay to be distracted and you have to allow yourself to realize it's going to happen. Two, a lot of it is if you think God's speaking to you profoundly in prayer, especially at first as you're starting out in your spiritual life, talk to a trusted priest, talk to a friend who's more mature in the spiritual life. And kind of get a second opinion like hey do you think this was actually god um and so that can be helpful and once you kind of do that at enough times you can start um trusting your own discernment and those little matters more although for big things um i always recommend still talking um to a priest
0: or another spiritual authority figure so you're convicted now you're called to the priesthood and I assume you have, you talked to your parents i did how did that go
1: um they were definitely a little bit surprised um because but because it came a little bit out of nowhere as far as they were concerned but um yeah ultimately they were very supportive and so I was really thankful for that
0: Okay so we still have a year left in college right before we move on this decision so do you move into your sophomore year of college Yeah I moved and into how did my, that go? I
1: moved into my sophomore year and I actually took summer math classes mm-hmm. um the summer after my freshman year so I could graduate in 3 years instead of 4 So I was like okay this is great I'll do two more years and uh I'll get my college degree, Um, but then I start getting into upper-level math classes, like real analysis, which is like doing proofs of calculus, and I'm like, this is really hard, and I don't really have very much interest in this anymore. (laughs) Um, I'm going to switch my major to theology, because, you know, just in case I don't want to be a priest, I don't want to do something like this. Um, But uh, so, yeah, I'd I'd actually visited the Benedictines uh, over the summer, and I didn't feel like at that time God was calling me to religious life. Um, and I visited the diocese of Pittsburgh which was my home diocese and I felt a lot of peace with that and so my plan was pretty much to try to enter the diocese of Pittsburgh after I graduated in 2 years but uh God kind of blew that plan up um as well.
0: Oh okay so what happens?
1: Yeah, I just kept feeling really really restless and finally like I told God like um if uh if you want me to like join seminary now you need to make this really really clear cuz I mean, I'm going to have like 38 credits left every three semesters to graduate. This really doesn't seem to make much sense. Um, And right after I prayed that prayer, I actually said it out loud in the chapel during finals week. I had multiple priests come and invite me to a come and see for the diocese um, of Pittsburgh. And uh, yeah, the Lord convicted me on that come and see pretty much that, uh,
0: yeah, I should go for it. So, as we hear, good fruit can come out of finals week. I'll uh, tell the students. Good can come very, very, out of <laughs> <week>. <laughs> Okay, so you end up joining the, the Diocese of Pittsburgh?
1: I end up joining the Diocese of Pittsburgh. And
0: how long were you there?
1: I was a seminarian for the Diocese of
0: Pittsburgh for about three years. Okay. Three years, yes. All right, and tell us about that time.
1: Um, I can't, I do have some good memories. I honestly can't say it was my favorite uh, period of my life. Um, I did. I entered. I was a junior in college, and I lived at Saint Paul Seminary, which is the minor seminary uh, in Pittsburgh. So I lived there, and then I went to classes um, at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, which um, the diocese now is thankfully pulled out of just because it's really become increasingly secularized. Um, But I got there, and quite frankly, uh, I didn't get along real well with a lot of the guys. Um, I found some of the priests very difficult um, to deal with, and. I pretty much told the Lord after my first semester, like, look, like I think you're calling me to be a priest, but I'm burnt out enough that if you like don't change things, um, I'm gonna have to leave because this is just too hard and um this isn't working.
0: Well, we know that you're not a seminarian anymore of the diocese of Pittsburgh. You were sitting across from us as a Franciscan fire of the Holy Spirit. So obviously something happens yeah. that leads you from Pittsburgh to Phoenix. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so it was a couple year process and it was one that wasn't it actually was not immediately apparent at all. But after that first semester was burnt out, I got invited to go on a New Year's retreat um, with these TOR Franciscans that I'd never really heard of. But um, a friend of a friend kind of invited me. And uh, yeah, it was pretty wild. I was like, I went on this retreat and everyone was like super enthusiastically like doing praise and worship and praying in tongues. And I felt like I was like the least fired up person there, which like wasn't something that I was used to. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I just got wrecked by the Holy Spirit on the retreat. And I really felt the Lord renew his love for me. And I felt like the Lord at that retreat gave me the grace to persevere and to go back um, to seminary. And so um, I kept in touch with some of the friars. Um, I finished my uh, junior year and my senior year at St. Paul's Seminary uh, and graduated um, in the meantime, the, the friars who I knew and um, had become friends with and really looked up to had left for Phoenix to, jo- to start a new community. And at first, I didn't really know what to think of it. But uh, after talking to some trusted spiritual advisors, I realized this was really God's will. Uh, but it really didn't immediately occur to me that uh, I should join them until um, a fateful day. I was in Washington, D.C. I was assigned to Theological College. Um, for theology studies, which is connected to Catholic University of America. And it's about a month in and school year starting good. And I'm just sitting in the chapel and I start thinking about religious life. And I'm like, oh, I looked at the Benedictines. I looked at these communities and like, I just didn't feel peace with it. And then I thought about this new community, which still wasn't really a community because the guys weren't um, officially erected yet. Um, they weren't even wearing habits at the time. And like after f- five minutes, I felt peace with it then after like 10 minutes, then after like an hour, and I was like, holy crap, I think God wants me to rethink my life, and was immediately pretty terrified.
0: Children, cover your ears.
1: <laughs>
2: so you're beginning, so you're feeling called to religious life at this point?
1: I'm, I'm starting to feel, I'm called to religious, feeling called to religious life, but I'm kind of freaked out because I'm already in first theology, and the diocese was really big that once you're in theology, you kind of need to be committed to, to this.
2: So just... If you could just maybe explain to us, so you're on track to become a, a diocesan priest. We, w- mo- most people have a general sense of, of what a diocesan priest is and what a diocesan priest does. So what was it then about, um, re- what's the difference between like a diocesan priest and religious life, and, and what was it that was attracting you then to religious life? Yeah.
1: Well, diocesan priest, you're normally in a parish, either by yourself or maybe with one other priest. Two, if you're, two if you're lucky. Um, and I really felt a call to live in community. And I particularly felt called to communal prayer because religious uh, chant the Psalms, they chant the divine office together, they often um, have mass together, they spend times in, other times in communal prayer. And it's something I felt drawn to, and it wasn't something that diocesan Priests really did. And I also really felt called to pursue um, just uh, living a life in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and um, in the environment that I was in in seminary, frankly, that just wasn't something that was really encouraged.
2: So can you maybe share some of your experiences of of just living a life in the spirit as you were just kind of sharing what that's been like for you?
0: Specifically, what does it mean to be wrecked by the Holy Spirit?
2: (laughs) Yeah, to be wrecked
1: by the Holy Spirit just means you feel overcome by the grace and power of God. Like it's kind of crazy. Like there's times like when like people like will pray for you and like all of a sudden you just feel all this like fire on your body and you just feel like God's presence in an incredibly powerful way. And sometimes it'll feel like during those times, the Lord will just really speak to your heart um, in a direct way. And I just wanted to be open to spirit-filled evangelization, meaning like I'm actually praying about like who I'm going to talk to, what ministries I'm going to do versus like just kind of do more like programmatic um, type stuff. So I saw with this new community that there was really the potential for that. And that was something that I was really drawn
0: to. And so you end up joining the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Uh, you come down in August of 2016, and you begin your initial formation. Just tell us a little bit about that postulancy novitiate, what that is, and what your experience was, what God was doing in your yeah. life at that time.
1: um for us, it's about four months. Some communities, it can be a year. Some communities, it can be two weeks. But we do about four months, which is a good moderate amount. And it's basically just a time to transition from the world into religious life. And so... We did lots and lots of manual labor and lots of construction, and we went out to Walmart quite frequently to pray for people. It Was pretty much what my postulancy uh, consisted of. Um, but uh, it was a very grace-filled time. Um, I really, um, my prayer life, getting to like live around religious, release, I felt like started to become more solid, and I just began to see God do like miracles on the reservation and at Walmart in ways that I haven't seen. But it was also very challenging. I, I really loved my family and I was horribly homesick being on the opposite side of the country. Um, and so that was probably the biggest challenge um, of that time.
0: Okay, so then you start the novitiate. What is a novitiate and what does your novitiate look like?
1: A novitiate is pretty much religious life boot camp. Uh, and so, and <laughs> yeah. novitiate, you're given uh, the habit. And you're given a new name. You're given a new religious name to signify. And what name did you choose? Uh, I requested uh, Brother John of the Cross as my first name. I guess yeah, name. you didn't
0: choose it. What bishop chose it? And why did you choose that?
1: Uh, I chose John of the Cross because uh, he wanted union with God above all else, which is what I want. Uh, and he also like, had to suffer a lot. And I felt like it was something where the Lord was going to call me to suffer and following him. And he was a reformer of religious life. He wasn't like the first guy to reform the Carmelites. He carried out Teresa of Avila's reforms. And similarly, I wasn't the founder of this order, but I felt like I was called out to help to help um, carry out the reform um, of religious life. And uh, also, like, the Jesuits were trying to uh, recruit him, but he ended up becoming a Carmelite against their wills. And, yeah, the Diocese of Pittsburgh just really didn't want me to go, and so I kind of became a Franciscan against their will. And so I felt <laughs> some uh, I felt, felt some affinity with St. John of the Cross uh, with that all. Amen.
0: Okay, so then you finish your division, you end up taking vows, and you go to Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit. And uh, tell us about the past three years, what that time has been like for you.
1: Yeah. So, um, as I'd already been in seminary before, um, there wasn't really a novel aspect to going back um, to seminary. So, I did one year of studies, I did a pastoral year, then I did another year of studies. Probably my favorite part was in our second year, we were able to move into a parish in Detroit. St. Mary of Redford and actually having a parish to minister at on the weekends to build up the people there had been a really good experience. And in Novitiate, you're you're praying about 30 plus hours a week and you're kind of locked down. And so having the freedom to do um, more ministry during my time of temporary profession um, was probably uh, the biggest highlight. But the temporary profession is really a time to see, like, okay, now you're living the life you're going to be living for the rest of your life. Is this really what I want to do? And
0: for me, the answer was yes. Um, as you talk about John of the Cross and kind of his inspiration in your life, who in your life uh, would you say were the biggest influences to get you to be where you are today, a finally professed deacon of the Franciscan Fathers of the Holy Spirit?
1: Um, probably the biggest influence is Father Tom Acklin, a-, a Benedictine monk at St. Vincent Arch Abbey. I actually met him because the Diocese of Pittsburgh wasn't sure if they initially would want to take me in seminary in college, and the rector there told me if I talked to Father Tom and he gave the go-ahead, they'd take me, and he gave the go-ahead, and um, I've been spitting him for spiritual direction for uh, almost 10 years now, and so he's really taught me I feel like everything I know about prayer and how to pursue uh, the Lord, and so he's been by far um, my biggest spiritual father and the biggest influence on um, my religious and priestly vocation.
0: Uh, Father Thomas has been an incredible blessing to all of our community. Um, I remember we 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 sp- spoke to him from the very beginning. You know, even before we, we left Pennsylvania, a great great man. Um, other than John of the Cross, is there a particular saint who you found has been extremely influential in your vocation, helping you to get here today?
1: Yeah, um, I would say in recent years I've really felt a devotion to Saint Pius the Tenth. Um, the reason being is we're just surrounded by so much unbelief, um, so much heresy, so many departures from the truths of the Catholic faith. And we saw in St. Pius X, this incredibly saintly Pope. He's known as kind of being like, people think he was kind of this like stodgy guy because like he condemns modernism and all of that. But, uh, I wrote a research paper on him the last semester and like, he was like a man of tremendous holiness. He was the first, uh, Pope to be a saint in over 400 years. Mm. He like prayed for like a bunch of kids and stuff who got healed. Mm. Um, He wrote like on just how the laity need to have access to the Eucharist and need to receive the Eucharist more frequently. But he boldly condemned um, the errors of modernism, which is basically the idea that the dogmas of the faith change and evolve. And in a lot of ways, we still seem to be dealing with that same problem. And so I've really prayed for him um, the last couple of years to be a guiding figure to me as I pursue the priesthood.
2: In, in sharing your your story with us, uh, you're related uh, a lot of twists and turns, maybe some walls, some opposition, some hardships, some sufferings. Um, and so, what advice would you give to really anyone trying to discern maybe their their vocation first and foremost? I mean, because your vocation it didn't change, but it was not what you originally set out to. It kind of evolved. Um, so, advice to someone discerning their vocation and then just anyone just trying to discern um, where God is trying to lead them in their life. Cause it seems like you've kind of gone through some stages.
1: Yeah. With discerning your vocation, you have to pray, you have to be in a relationship with God. And so, if you're what Father Tom told me is if I was serious about um, like pursuing my vacation, I'd spend an hour a day in silence, which it sounds like a lot. But if you're a young, unmarried person, it's challenging, yet it's doable, and so that's the first thing I'd recommend. The second would be just being open like whenever the Holy Spirit moves in power um it, to respond to that. like I mentioned like the shift between um diocesan um priesthood and religious life, but even um two and a half summers ago, like I said, I joined the order because it was charismatic, and um we still do a lot of charismatic stuff, which I really feel drawn to, but um if you want to talk about getting wrecked by the Holy Spirit, I got wrecked by the Holy Spirit at a uh, (laughs) traditional Latin Mass um, about two and a half years ago, which really forever changed how I saw the liturgy, how I saw the tradition of the church. And since then, the Latin Mass has really become a passion for me, has really become a a source of strength in my spiritual life. And so it's just to be open for God to do crazy stuff that you might not expect, because a lot of the things that I'm doing now are totally not on my radar when I started out. And a lot of this really applies, to for people, obviously, who aren't pursuing religious life. Like An hour of prayer might not be doable, given your state in life, but try 10 or 15 minutes. I, I really think um, that'd be doable for um, most people. And uh, yeah, we can all be open whenever God decides to just move in crazy ways.
0: All right. Well, we're about out of time. Um, and so we move to our fun question. Oh, good. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this would be an easy one. I think this is, it might be hard, but it's also easy at the same time because you're a tennis player and we haven't really touched much tennis, but who is your favorite tennis player and why?
1: Um, my favorite tennis player uh, is Novak Djokovic. And the reason why I really liked him is he like with Federer and Nadal, they called him the big three because they were always kind of competing. And no one really liked Djokovic that much because he doesn't have a great personality. He's just really competitive and he doesn't have the prettiest strokes, but like head to head, he has winning records versus both of those guys. Cause he just gets the job done. And I just want to get the job done for Jesus. Even if it's not in the prettiest way possible, I just want to win souls for the kingdom of God and do what it takes to accomplish that. So
0: it's interesting how like sports figures just, you know, with personality, I'm, I'm an Andre Agassi fan because, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm a little older. Uh, so he was more, he and Pete Sampras, you know, going at it. Um but he's just he is a, a fireball on the court. Uh, he is just always like it's it's he's I feel like he's kind of a smooth operator. Um it's just uh, a lot of, a lot of passion out there on the court and so uh, and a lot of personality. Um so I don't know just this big, big Agassi fan uh because just cause for what it meant kind of he's always got wearing like bright clothing and everything <laughs> yeah. else, which i don't do but i just always it always, always always find it very fun he was always, always just a fun he man. was I, about, I remember watching him when i was little How about well? yourself
2: father peter Teresa. i know nothing about tennis so i'm going to recuse myself from this question <laughs> i don't know i mean i know both those names but i wouldn't know enough of, i wouldn't know enough to, to pick a favorite so but i do appreciate that brother just called himself the, the Djokovic of the community so <laughs> We're going to give
0: you, uh, what do you think, Federer, uh, the greatest of all time? Call you the great, the goat?
2: I'll take it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe Pete Sampras, the greatest American? I don't know. Am I, am I saying controversial things right now?
1: I, I think Federer with the majors he's won is pretty clearly the greatest of all time at this point.
0: It, it, who's Father Peter Teresa? If he's a tennis player, who is he?
1: If Father Peter Teresa uh, was a tennis player, um, I, think he's, I think he's a Pete Sampras type. He's a little more artistic. Um, not so much just sheer power but really just knows where to place the ball and uh, knows how to play beautiful tennis So,
0: how about myself who am I
1: who are you I would say you're more like Nadal father Anthony <laughs> you, uh, you bash the ball from the baseline you can hit really high shots that no one else is used to handling
0: and can just overpower people with your intensity like I'm, I'm a new I have a new favorite tennis player right now Nadal I love it thank you John of the Cross would you say a final prayer for us yeah
1: Lord, we thank you and praise you for your goodness. We thank you and praise you for your love. Just pray, Lord, for all those listening to the podcast, that they may uh, just be touched by the power, the fire of your Holy Spirit. Uh, and we just pray, Lord, for anyone who's struggling with discernment, struggling, Lord, with your will, that they may just come to know your voice. And we just pray, Lord, for a, a deeper commitment to all of our listeners uh, to prayer. And we ask this all in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much, the John Cross. Thank
2: you for listening to this episode of the Become Fire podcast. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit can be found online at www.becomefire.faith.
0: That's dot F A I T H. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit are also a five hundred one c three charitable organization. If you feel called in any way to give financially to their mission, please go to www.becomefire.faith/give. That's becomefire.faith/give. May the Lord give you his peace.
2: We'll see you next time.